All right. Good morning, church. Man, I'm glad you guys are here. This is a lot of fun. Uh, my name is Sean Penn. If you don't know who I am, I'm the associate pastor here for at least four more weeks. Um, <laughs> so I've got you for four weeks, and we're going to work through a series that we're simply calling Love Actually. Um, to get going, I just want to do like an informal poll. How many of you like love stories? Yeah. Every lady in the place. <laughs> Come on, guys. Where are you? Give me, give me some of the names of your favorite love stories. Love Actually. <laughs> I had to rent that, and I'm not recommending that, but I did watch it. It's all right. Uh, how about others? Pride and Prejudice. Unanimous favorite. First hour. It's back up here. Second hour. Somewhere in time. Okay. Princess Bride. Yeah. Yeah. While you were sleeping? Okay. Sleepless in Seattle. What's over here? Wedding singer. That's yeah. I'm not singing today. But all right, guys, I'm hearing a lot of ladies yell. Where are your love stories? Come on. I'm, I'm, I haven't heard I haven't heard Rocky. Braveheart? I hear Braveheart? Yeah. Good. Who's over here? Forrest Gump. <laughs> it's good. Oh, how about Last of the Mohicans, gentlemen? Huh? Uh, yeah. Blood, violence, romance doesn't get any better, right? <laughs> uh, we're going to take a little journey today. We, because something about love stories, man, they just draw us in, whether they are, you know, filled with testosterone or just filled with gush. Um, but they, <laughs> they will draw us in, right? And so I wanted to have us kind of go through a love story. We're going to go and we're going to look at this passage in the Bible. It's a book of the Bible. We're going to work through over the next three weeks. It's an obscure little book. In fact, I don't know that I've ever heard anybody teach on this book in a church setting. Uh, but it's the love relationship between a man and his woman and their kids and how it mirrors God's love for us. It's the book of Hosea um, in the Old Testament. And why am I doing this? I mean, you've got four weeks, your last four weeks. Why in the world would you spend time talking about love? Well, a couple of reasons. Um, when I was back up in April, we talked through the seven churches of Revelation. And you guys, we had a little uh, assignment. We gave you a, a heart. And on that heart was, Lord, give me a heart that. And you filled out a lot of very personal things, a lot of profound issues. And it's like, you know, oftentimes we have you do these assignments and you fill this out and you expose your heart for everybody. In fact, we tacked it up for four weeks so everybody could read uh, what you're asking the Lord to do. But then we just kind of zip them up in Ziploc bags and toss them in a box. And it's like, okay, that was nice. Now what? Uh, so I thought, let's go back. Let's bring some of that up. And how do we, using Hosea, how can we allow God through his Holy Spirit to speak to us? to encourage us, to give us the resolve, to live from our hearts, to stay true to Him. See, that's what He desires. He desires our heart. He desires you above all. How can we live from that? How can we remain, remain true to that? So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn over to Hosea if you can find it in, in the Old Testament. We're going to pop it up on the screen. And we're going to work our way through chapter 1 today. And so if we could begin by reading verse 1 of chapter 1, we're going to read this together, all right? So I want you to help me in reading uh, chapter 1, verse 1 of Hosea. Ready? Let's start. One, two, three, begin. The word of the Lord that came from Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, 
And during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel. Let's stop right there. Today we're going to talk about Hosea. We're going to talk about this love story. But we need to kind of understand who this main character, Hosea, is. And what's the context of the message. All right? And so there's a lot that is here in verse 1 for us to kind of quickly unpack. First thing we find out is that uh, Hosea, this is the only time we're introduced to this guy, Hosea, and he is the son of Beery. Now what does that mean? That he's the son of a dad who makes beer, right? Isn't that what it's all? Well, I don't know if that's true or not, but it works with the love story. Um, but he's the son of Beery. That the word of the Lord came to him, and that's kind of code word in the Old Testament, that this guy is a prophet of God. God is going to use him to speak through him a specific message. So we know he's a prophet. His name, Hosea, means salvation. And so here God is using a man by the name of Hosea, whose name means salvation, to bring his message to his people. And he lives at a very specific time in history. Um, We've read where he lives during the reign of four kings of Judah, and it says one king of of Israel, though there's some explanation of why it's more than just one king. And so we're going to pull this up, give you some context. Uh, What you need to know about the nation of Israel at this time is that it was split into two kingdoms. There was the kingdom of Israel, which was in the north, and there was the kingdom of Judah, which was in the south. And it was during the reigns of the kings in the south of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah that uh, Hosea prophesied. Now, Hosea did not prophesy to the kingdom of Judah. Hosea prophesied to the kingdom in the north, the, the kingdom of Israel. And the king there was Jeroboam. It says he was the son of Jehoash, which means he's actually Jeroboam II, because there was another Jeroboam. And it was during this guy's reign, it was a 41-year reign, that uh, Jeremiah, or Hosea was prophesying. Now, history says that in 722, that northern kingdom was invaded and they were deported. Assyria moved in and just took the northern kingdom away and repopulated it with themselves. And there was inmarrying and breeding and all these kind of strange things. Um, But that was the nation of Israel in 722. Hosea prophesied during Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah. So we know that he started prophesying in around 780, 787. And we don't know... There's nothing in the book of Hosea that says that he was in the northern kingdom when Assyria came in. So that was 722, but it says that he prophesied up to or at least into the reign of Hezekiah, who started reigning in 726. So all this to say is that Hosea was a prophet in the north from about 787 up until 726, 724, somewhere in there. And then he passed away before the northern kingdom was taken away. And so that means he had a pretty long career as a prophet of God. He prophesied for over 60 years. And what was happening in the northern kingdom that was going on, that God had to speak through him this special message, was there some a lot of detestable things taking place. In that northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, their love for God had kind of faded. They were sliding further and further and further away from God. Politically, they were depending upon the nation of Assyria. They were turning to Assyria. They were trying to appease the most powerful nation on the planet at the time. And we know from 2 Kings chapter 15 and also from history that the the leaders in Israel at that time actually made these alliances with Assyria. And there was a portion of that northern kingdom uh, in Israel around Galilee they actually gave to Assyria to try to appease them. All that is telling us is that they weren't looking and depending and relying upon the one true God. They were looking and relying and trusting in the kings of Assyria. Also during this period, the 60-year period, uh, this Baal worship was at its peak in northern, in Israel, in the northern kingdom. 
Now, you've heard us talk about Baal worship. If you've been to Sunday school, you've been in church, you've heard about Baal. But what made it so detestable that it just infuriated God? Well, Baal is the god of the land. He's the god of fertility of the land. And there was the belief that if you would unite yourself with one of his sacred prostitutes at his temple, that you would give him power to bring the blessing of the rain and the productivity back to the earth. And so the more you united yourself with a temple prostitute, the more power and strength Baal would have. And so what was happening here in the northern kingdom is they had bought into this, this worship and this form of worship hook, line, and sinker, and they were glorifying sex but destroying love. And God said, this is detestable to me. And he looks at this people, a people whom he loves, and he sees them strain after a foreign power. He sees them strain after foreign gods, and his heart is broken. And he comes to Hosea, and it says that the word of the Lord came to Hosea. Again, just that buzzword, God is going to speak. This is a little telltale sign. 400 times God speaks, and it's the word of the Lord in the Old Testament. And he gives them the message, and he says, Hosea, this is what I want you to do. Verse 2, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness. What? Did, did I just read that right? Did you just hear what you thought you heard? When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, take to yourself an unfaithful, promiscuous, adulterous wife. And in that relationship, you're going to have children of unfaithfulness. Hello? Did I just hear what I thought I heard? If I'm Hosea, I'm thinking, man, I've had way too much beery, right? I, this, something is not matching up here. God would never ask me to go and marry a prostitute, a, a promiscuous woman. She actually wasn't a prostitute yet. We'll talk about that next week. Go and marry this promiscuous woman and have children of unfaithfulness. But that's what God asks Hosea to do. Now, you need to know, if you're not in a relationship, this is atypical, okay? God is not setting this up as a way to find your spouse, okay? Not a good thing. I'm not sanctioning anything, not giving approval today for anything. This is actually a very unique thing. From my study of Scripture, I don't see God asking anybody else to do this up to the point of Hosea. And I never see God asking anybody after Hosea to do this. This is a unique thing that God is asking Hosea to do. God is speaking to his people the prophet Hosea. Now, when he speaks, he gives this message, go marry this woman of unfaithfulness. You're going to have children of unfaithfulness. And it's like, okay, we've read that. That's nice. Nice little metaphor, nice little story. But this really happened. And I want us to kind of let this sink in a little bit. And so let's take just a visual trip to a wedding ceremony. How many of you have been to a wedding this summer? Yeah, a lot of us. A lot of us have performed several, all right? And they typically kind of go like this. It's in the summer, and it's warm, and you're asked to dress up in your nice suit, and everybody looks good, and they smell good. And, you know, so you've received an invitation. Oftentimes it's from somebody like, do you know this person? Like, yeah, I know this. yeah, son of some, somebody. And so you've received this invitation to go to this wedding. And it's the son of somebody you once knew, and, you know, okay, I'm going to go. And you dress up, and, and you put on the cologne, and you show up early, you know, uh, not if you're here at Northwest Hills, but a lot of places you'll show up early, you know, and you'll get there like 15 minutes early, and you want to sign in the guest book, and, 
And you're asking people, so who is the bride? I don't know anything about the bride. Can you fill me in? And everybody, I don't know who the bride is. And you're like, all right. So you walk in and you take your seat and the groom walks in and he stands up here with the minister and you're like, man, that, that kid, he's really grown up. He's a young man now. He just finished seminary. I heard he just received a call to be a pastor of a church. You know, he's sharp looking. His hair is all gelled. He's wearing the tux and the vest underneath. He's got the tie. His shoes are rented, so they're really shining. You know, and it's like, man, he's looking good. And then the wedding march starts. And you look, and here comes the bride, and you're looking, something's not right with this picture. Her dress is a little dingy, maybe stained a little yellow, maybe some mud on the hem. Veil's a little skewed, you know, and you, the door opens like, whoa, there's a smell of smoke, you know. You look, and you, through the veil, you can see the red lips. I mean, there's way too much lipstick. The rouge is just a little too dark. And she begins to walk, and as she passes you, you're like, whoo, there's alcohol all over this lady. You're like, what is going on? And she walks in, and you're looking at her, and things aren't matching up. And you look up at the groom, and he's just smiling ear to ear. You're like the Cheshire cat on Alice in Wonderland. You know, woo! And he's like, am I at the right place? You know, and, and you see this, and here she comes, and he's there, and he's looking like he's so much in love. And then they get up there, and they exchange their vows of love and devotion, and they promise till death do them part. And you're sitting there going, is this a joke? You know, am I watching? Am I witnessing this? The ceremony ends and out they go and you go get in the receiving line to, to give the congratulations and you're biting your tongue and you kind of just say, hey, congratulations, hope this works out for you. You know, and in your mind you think I'm giving it maybe one year kind of thing. Come on, we all do that, right? One year, five years, ten years, nobody? All right. If I've performed your wedding, I never have thought that. All right. Um, <clears throat> You meet them, and then you go, and you're kind of mingling with other guests at the reception, and then the rumors start to circulate. This bride, I hear she's a drug addict. I hear she's an alcoholic. I hear she has a past. And then the, the word comes down that, man, not only that, but the groom, this minister, says that he heard God say he was supposed to marry her. And you're just, oh, I don't even know what to make of this. This whole thing is just strange. It's a, it's a reality TV series in the making, and I'm out of here, right? What well, you have just witnessed the marriage of Hosea and Gomer. And why in the world would God ask that to happen? Because here's the deal. God not only wants Hosea to communicate his words. God wants Hosea to experience the depth of the emotion behind those words when he communicates them. He wants Hosea to feel what he feels, the pain that he feels, the betrayal that he feels when he communicates these words. It goes on in verse 2. God says, I want you to do this, Hosea, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery and departing from the Lord. The people had turned from God. God was passionate for them. He was intensely in love with them. And they have walked away. And he is hurt. He's heartbroken. And so he gives us extreme message to communicate the extreme pain. And he says, Jose, I want you to take yourself an unfaithful wife. And so he goes and he marries Gomer. Uh, maybe there's a clue there's not something altogether right when the woman's name is Gomer. But that's a whole other issue. <laughs> 
You need to know the Hosea. This is the first time that the whole metaphor of marriage between God and, and us is really blown up. I mean, you read through the Bible and you get in the New Testament and you get all this marriage language. You know, Jesus is the bridegroom and we, the church, are, are the bride. And you get to the last book of the Bible and there's this language that, you know, we as the followers of Jesus Christ are going to be at this marriage feast, this marriage supper. And there's all this language. But, you know, it really starts in detail right here. Hosea and Gomer. And the message that I think God is trying to communicate through Hosea that we're going to flesh out over the next couple of weeks is a twofold message. And the first is this. He says, I want the people to understand through you, Hosea, that substitutes just don't satisfy. You've got to refuse to use substitutes because substitutes just don't satisfy. God has made us. We have been made in the image of God and our souls ache for what only He can give us. And yet we live in a culture that is infatuated with substitutes. Don't we run out and we buy something that is fast and quick and easy and cheap because we can get it right now. You know, I went to the grocery store. I asked around the office this last week, hey, give me some ideas of things that are substitutes that we will settle for. That if you had them, you're like, man, I wish I had the original. And they gave me some ideas. So I went to the grocery store and I picked some things up. You know, when you go to the grocery store, you can get substitute cereal. These are, this is like cereal bars, but they're not even like real cereal. It's like substitute cereal. And there's actually milk in the middle, they say. I don't know how it all gets in there. The milk and the filling, and it's here, and you don't have to refrigerate it. And you open it up, and it's like, okay, that, that kind of looks like a Honey Nut Cheerio. And there's some filling in the middle, but when you eat it, it's like eating licorice. I mean, it's like nasty stuff. If, I'd much rather have the real thing. But how many of you are hungry this morning? You want one? All right. Anybody else? I don't know if I can throw it that far without hurting somebody. Oh, this is Cinnamon Toast Crunch, huh? There you go. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. See if I can get the Cinnamon Toast Crunch back to you. Whoop. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Sue me. I'm out of here. Choke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Cereal bars. I went over, I was at Winco, and this person's like, Crab, crab, you want to taste some crab? And it's like I ignored the person. And then they like yelled at me again, so I walked back, and it's like, Crab Classic, imitation crab. Now, I was told first hour that it was some engineers at OSU that actually came up with the imitation stuff. And so, you know, if that works for you, great. But who wouldn't rather have the real thing, caught, fresh, and boiled and eaten, right? Somebody wants some of the... Crab class. I'm not opening it up here. Oh, <laughs> uh, how about this? Who's in the military? I got this from a Ron Mercer. All right, he gave me this. This is a MRE meal ready to eat. This is enchilada. Some enchiladas in here. Man, you just add hot water and it's ready to go. Who would like that, huh? If you're really hungry, yeah, you've been in the military. Yeah. All right, my favorite Neapolitan ice cream. Freeze-dried Neapolitan ice cream, all right? You don't have to keep it refrigerated. You can leave it in your car trunk all summer. When you want some, just pop it out, all right? Here it is, a little pinch between the cheek and gum, and you got your Neapolitan ice cream. Anybody want some? You guys want some? No, thank you. You've taught them well. That's good. Is it, is it okay? Yeah. Now, if you react to that, talk to your mom. Ugh. But So we substitute, right? We're so quick. These are fast, they're convenient, and we just, let's go get them and eat them. It's like, who wouldn't rather have the original, the real thing? 
But don't we do that in our life? You know, we go and we worship money. I mean, money's a great thing. It's a great tool. It gives us great things. But it's a horrible God to worship. You know, and I'm thinking, ah, I'm impervious to that. But, you know, when we receive the call to go to this little church in Paso Robles, you know, on a good day, there may be 100 people there. I mean, it's a stretch for them to even give us money. I mean, it's a pay cut, gang. It's not like a lateral move. It's a pay cut. There's not even any insurance for the first six months because we're trying to figure out how we can even afford that. You don't think money burrows into your soul pretty quick? You trust that God loves you? You would relinquish that and say, okay, God, I'll be obedient because I know you love me. How about relationships? How many of us put relationships where only God should be? Sometimes relationships stand in the way of us hearing the voice of God. It's not been an easy decision for us to say, okay, Lord, we're going to be obedient because, man, there's so many people here that we love. And we've just got to be reminded it's not about losing anybody. It's about moving into a new venue where God has got people that need his touch and need his word. And we're going to add more people to our larger family. And I look forward to the day where you get to meet them. You know, and it's about relationship. But how subtle it is. Some of us sneak into church. We've in a relationship and... You know, the relationship isn't going the way it maybe be should. And, you know, our tendency is we fall into love, and then we kind of fall out of love, and then we kind of fall into love, and then we kind of fall out of love, and then we kind of fall into anger and all these kind of strange things. And every church we've been in, I've seen this scenario kind of work out where you see people, they're in love, and then they go through some horrible breakup, and they disappear from church. And then they show back up in church, maybe one of them, and you begin to see God healing their life, and they're getting to that spot, and things are going real well. And then they meet that person and they fall in love all over again. And you're thinking, oh, this, this could work. And then they disappear as a couple. And you're like, well, where did they go? And then two years they show back up. And you're like, where have you been? And they're like, well, that relationship, it was going great. And we just started to really connect. And he really was Prince Charming. And then next thing you know, though, he's become the focus. Or she's become the focus. And only where God should be in their life, they've let this other person get in there. And things have gone south pretty fast. And now they're coming back to the church saying, help me out. How subtly we let relationships slide into only where God should be. Or addictions. Could be addicted to food. Could be sex. What about religion? You know, you could be addicted. You could substitute religion for God. You could be here doing so many good things. God's saying, you know, that's great. That's not what I want because I want you. And this is the message that God's trying to get across through the prophet Hosea. Refuse to use the substitutes because those substitutes, they just aren't going to satisfy. And God's looking out at his people, people he created and he's passionate about, and they're wandering away, and they're following all these other false gods, and they're asking Baal, Baal, protect us. Baal, give us what we need. And God says, you know, enough is enough. Six times in the Old Testament, God says he's a jealous God. It doesn't mean he's vengeful. He's just passionate about you. And at some point, he's going to come and he says, enough is enough. Substitutes won't satisfy. So he tells Hosea, verse 3, I want you to marry Gomer. So he goes and marries Gomer, and they have their first child. Um, And God tells Hosea this. He says in verse 4, call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In other words, he's saying, you know, I'm going to bring judgment on these people because they're following after these false gods. And then on top of that, he has a daughter. And God says to Hosea, call her Lo Ruhamah, which literally means not loved. 
Can you imagine what, what, what's going on here? Can you imagine being the dad and naming your child Jezreel, God scatters, low Ruhama, not loved, and going through the house and yelling, knowing what their name means? Jezreel, low Ruhama, God scatters, you're not loved. Isn't that messed up? But that's exactly what God is asking them to do. In verse 6 he says, Because I will no longer show love to the house of Israel, that I should at all forgive them. And then God goes on and he says, I want you to have a third child. And I'm thinking, if I'm Jose, I'm thinking, hello, Lord, but two was enough. All right? Things are not progressing well. All right? First of all, you've given me Jezreel, then Lo-Rohama. But the Bible says, he goes and they have a third child. Verse 8, after she had weaned Lo-Rohama, Gomer had another son. And the Lord said, call him Lo-Ami, for you are not my people. Which is what Lo-Ami means. You are not my people, and I'm not your God. And you begin to read through these first nine verses of Hosea. And you're thinking, wow, that's real encouraging. <laughs> Thanks, God. This is good. You know, I mean, God is asking Hosea to marry this unfaithful woman. Then he gives them three children, and they got these horrible-sounding names. I mean, it's just awful. Then it begins to, to, to hit you. You know, it's like God's heart. God is so much in love that he wants them to understand the depth of his pain. And in a very real way, it's almost like he's saying, I'm breaking up with you. I mean, this is a theme that you see kind of going through Hosea. In fact, throw some verses up. Hosea chapter 2, 2, God says, she's not my wife, I'm not her husband. Chapter 5, verse 14, chapter 13, verse 7, God's compared to a lion who pounces on the prey and tears it to pieces. Chapter 5, verse 6, God says, when they come and they're going to seek the Lord, they will not find him because he's withdrawn from them. Chapter 9, verse 15, God says, I will no longer love them. And rational thinking people say that is the only reasonable response for infidelity it's rejection god's love is so much different than our love and what we need to understand is god's giving you a glimpse into the emotional side of his love man i love you but you're driving me crazy i love you ah! this is going on inside god and God is very strategically saying, things need to change. Almost like a little breakup letter. First nine verses here, like a breakup letter. And I tell you, you can break up with anybody, in the, you know, people in the strangest ways. I went online. The Internet is a fascinating place. Um, and you know, you can actually download breakup letters. <laughs> so I downloaded a couple of them for you. And so if you're in a bad relationship... I'm not saying to use these, all right? I'm just saying it's out there. But it says this. Here's one. Dear, you can insert your name. Dear, roses are red, violets are blue. You are the jerk my mother warned me about. I'm breaking up with you. <laughs> nice little rhyme, all right, good. Uh, here's, a, here's another one. Dear, you've got to insert the name. I bet you thought this day would never happen, that I would give you your walking papers and I'd start out on a new page full of promise of new relationships. Ah. <sighs> Well, buddy, it started last month. Sorry that you were so wrapped up in yourself that it took you this long to notice it. Before you find yourself a new girlfriend, get a grip on reality. The world doesn't revolve around you. Goodbye, Mr. Not-So-Wonderful. <laughs> it's like, you can get these things and download them off the web. And I'm thinking, man, we are harsh when we break up with people. Human love is harsh love. In fact, 
Here's another website, and I, I'm ashamed to even say I went and visited it to a degree. It's, it's called The Revenge Lady. You know, you can go to therevengelady.com. I'm not making this stuff up. Uh, and, and so it's like all these tips and advice for how to exact revenge. And there's stories of revenge. And I'm like, oh, my word. I'm reading through there going, you've got to be kidding me. And one of the worst on this was like, here's this lady. She's just divorced her husband. She's leaving the house. And so she took all this shrimp that had spoiled and stuffed it into the curtain rods. And I, I'm thinking, that's just wrong. And I'm thinking, can you imagine how many hundreds of dollars, maybe thousands of dollars, it took for this guy to figure out where that stench was coming from? Oh, you got no ideas, all right? I'm not giving ideas. We're not sanctioning anything. I'm just saying, our love is messed up, you know? And we're harsh when we, we break up with people. And God kind of has that feeling inside him, man. He's loving us, and he's kind of hating us. He's loving us, he's kind of hating us. He's kind of setting out this breakup letter, and then just when you think it couldn't get any darker, verse 10, the light comes breaking through. And reading in verse 10, God says, you know, yet the Israelites will be like the sand of the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. The place where it said of them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. Isn't that good? God's love has not abandoned us. He loves us. He's pursuing us. And he says, Hosea, I want you to understand. I want you to feel what I feel. And I want people to know that I'm pursuing them. They just irritate me. And I think we need to get our minds around this afresh today. Just the depth and the width, the immensity of God's love for us. I don't think that we're mesmerized. We're not wowed by his love anymore. We just kind of, okay, I know he's loving, that's good. It kind of bounces off our hearts. But God's love is so radical. You know, I think when we look at love and we talk about God's love, whether we intend to or not, we reinterpret it through the human love. A love that does let us down. A love that hurts us and is destructive. God's love, and I tell you, that kind of love really is closer to kind of the whole teaching of karma. You know, karma, you know, this cosmic law of, law of causes and effects, right? And basically says what goes around comes around. If you've wronged somebody, you expect to be wronged. All the balances are going to be equaled out. You know, that's karma, and that's kind of the world's love. That if you go bad, God's going to... You're unfaithful, God's going to be unfaithful to you. That's not God's love. God's love is a grace-filled love. God's love of grace turns karma on its head. God's love says no matter where you've been, what you've done, or who you've been with, you can experience forgiveness. You can be loved. You'll be embraced. And I don't know about you, but that's the kind of love I need in my life. Grace. And this is the kind of love that God's trying to communicate to us through the prophet Hosea. So part of the message I think God is trying to say is refuse to use substitutes because substitutes just don't satisfy. The second part of that message is, you know what, we've got to learn to rest in God's irrational love. Rest in his irrational love. God's love is unreasonable. It doesn't make sense. It does not add up. You look at God's love and you're thinking, what is he thinking? I mean, the whole message and the story of Hosea is really not about Hosea marrying Gomer. It's really about 
God marrying himself to a people. You've got to ask yourself, why in the world would God do that? I mean, if I were God, I would marry myself to a person I knew who was going to be faithful. I'd marry myself to a person who I knew was going to be committed to me. But God doesn't. He pursues a people he knows who's going to be unfaithful. And he wants them to understand the depth of his love for them. You know, according to our way of thinking, God's love, it's just irrational. It doesn't make sense. But that's God's love. Kind of reminds me of Paul's teaching in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, we read this. You see, at just the right time, this is verse 6, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for us. We're ungodly. He didn't die for the the good-looking. He didn't die for the people who go to church every Sunday. He died for the people who irritate you, who make your life a living hell, the people who cut you off in the parking lot at Winco. He died for those people. He died for you. He died for me. We're ungodly. And then almost as an FYI, Paul goes on and he says this. He says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man some might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Would you let that just sink into your heart for a little bit? Paul has just given us our resume before God. We are without power. We're ungodly. We're sinners. Imagine putting that on your resume. I know I didn't put it on any resume. Here I am. I'm powerless. I'm ungodly. I'm a sinner. Please hire me. You know, I didn't do that. Most of us try to cover that up. But right in the midst of all that, God comes into our world and he says, I'm loving you. I died for you, and I'm pursuing you. It's irrational. It doesn't make sense. Two weeks ago, we were on vacation and uh, read through this book, uh, Erwin McManus, Soul Cravings. Anybody read this book? Anybody familiar with this book, heard this book? Tom, yep, okay. There is a, for you, those of you who don't know, Erwin McManus is a lead pastor of a church called Mosaic down in Pasadena. Um, and in this, there's one story that just kind of hit me. He was asked to go to the Middle East to speak to a group of Muslims, about, and about all things, he was asked to speak about the history of Christianity. And during this conversation, he was continually peppered with questions like, okay, why is it really that important that you have to believe in Jesus? Why is it important that Jesus has to be God? And his sister going, I don't even know how I'm supposed to respond to this in this setting. So he scratches his head, and he comes up with his reply, and he's speaking through a translator, and this is what he shares. It's a love story. He said, I once met a girl named Kim. And he goes, my translator looked at me confused. I'm sure he was racking his brain trying to remember some biblical character named Kim. He stopped translating and just looked at me. I encouraged, translate. I once met a girl named Kim and I fell in love. I continued. I pursued her with my love and pursued her with my love until I felt my love had captured her heart. So I asked her to be my wife, and she said, no. He goes, I could feel their empathy, if not their pity. <laughs> I was unrelenting, and I asked her again, pursuing her with my love, and I pursued her with my love until she said, yes. 
There was huge relief throughout the entire room. And I went on. I did not send to my brother, nor did I send a friend. For in issues of love, you must go yourself. This is the story of God. He pursues you with his love and pursues you with his love, and you have perhaps not said yes. And even if you reject his love, he pursues you ever still. It was not enough to send an angel or a prophet or any other. For in issues of love, you must go yourself. And so God has come. And this is the story of Jesus, that God has walked among us and he pursues us with his love. He's very familiar with rejection, but is undeterred. And he is here even now, still pursuing you with his love. I think that's God's motivation to each one of us today. I mean, if God simply wanted to make sure that we knew right from wrong, he didn't need to come. If God wanted to make sure that we just had the right doctrine, the right belief system, he didn't need to come. If God wanted to just overwhelm us with miracles and power, he didn't need to take on flesh and blood and to walk among us. But he did. Because as Erwin said, in the issues of love, you can't send somebody else. You've got to go yourself. And so he came face to face. And so as you read through Hosea, the first nine verses that read like a breakup, you hit verse 10, and it's like this picture of grace this this light breaks forward and it says yet i'm going to extend grace to my people god says because he loves them in the place where it was said to them you are not my people they will be called sons of the living god and the amazing thing is this is the exact verse that the apostle paul picks up in romans chapter 9 verse 25 and he says but that love that hosea was talking about is now extended to beyond just the jewish people it's open for all people he was looking forward hosea was working forward to the day where all of us could come and worship before the one true god and the message is that anybody who has accepted jesus christ we know the love of god anybody who has bent their knee to jesus christ the love of god is ours so my challenge for us today is to look at the clock thinking man where did the time go is simply this maybe you're here maybe you've been a christian for a long time but you're not resting in God's irrational love. You need to know, you cannot earn what you already have. God's given it to you through his son, Jesus Christ. But will you rest in that? See, there's a tendency, and I'll tell you, the tendency for all of us, we accept Christ, that was great, that was a great experience, and then we go about being busy and doing and and trying to accomplish and trying to prove ourselves before God and say, if I do this enough, man, he's going to be pleased with me. We try to earn our way back into God's good favor. And if I don't do enough, he's going to be upset with me. And, oh, I don't want to face that. But he's like over here saying, whew, would you just rest? Would you just listen? Would you let me just love on you? And when we are over here, man, things are so much different. The pressure is gone. The fluidity and the love, it's back. You know, we're able to listen, and God's able to accomplish so much more in us than when we're over here going, i got to do, i got to do. But we get so busy and so caught up. And my prayer is, I hope you've heard from me, and you hear from our, the pastoral staff, Pastor Andy, Pastor Tom, Pastor Randall, you know, all of us. It's not about this. It's not about doing. But it's about entering in and just resting in the love of God. And then from this overflow, just of gratitude, of thank you, God trying to find ways I can express my love in tangible ways. So my question is, would you learn just to rest in God's love? 
some of us are here and you're like, Sean, I'm having a hard time with this whole thing about the love of God because I'm very familiar with the destructive power of love. I've experienced the breakup again and again and again and again, and I'm not so certain if I want to open myself up to this kind of love. My challenge to you is, would you, would you seek the origin of love? Would you open your heart to the possibility? My prayer is that through this series, as we listen to what God wants to say through Hosea, that we will open ourselves up to the truth of the love of God. Because I think when we begin to seek that, you're going to be surprised. Be surprised by a God who's willing to forgive, who will embrace, who will accept, and will see in you something you may have not felt in a long time, and that is that you're valuable, that you really do matter. There's an old British preacher. I love his little quote, and I'll just share the quote, and we'll close. But he says, there's a natural, logical kind of loving that loves lovely things and lovely people. That's logical. But there's another kind of loving that doesn't look for value in what it loves, but that creates value in what it loves. And that's the love that God is shedding and demonstrating upon us to us if there's anything lovable in me if there's anything lovable in you it's there because God loves you and he's relentless in his pursuit of you and if you don't hear anything else I pray that our hearts would be open to this message that in God through Jesus Christ (laughs) through his life and his death and his burial and his resurrection there is a message that is loud and clear and that is this I love you And we'll allow that truth to touch the core of our heart. And we'll move into the fullness of the life that he desires for us. That's my prayer. Refuse to use the substitutes, gang. Rest in the irrational love of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for your goodness. Your love. Father, it's irrational. It doesn't make sense. And yet... Father, we read in the scripture that that's the love you have for us and that you're relentless, that you're pursuing us. God, I pray that through this series that our hearts would be open to that truth and to that reality and we would surrender our lives to that. And if we've gotten off center, we'd come back. we just enter into the rest that you desire for us, the closeness, the intimacy, and experience life at that level. So, God, I pray that today upon this church, I pray it for myself, I pray it for each person in here, that you would capture our heart and our mind afresh. We would see you as the God who's pursuing us, who's for us and who loves us, and that we would respond with hearts of love. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the love. Thank you for life. We offer ourselves to you. Father, we give ourselves to you that you might be glorified. It's in Jesus' name we pray.